Now, if you have your Bible, uh, please turn with me uh, to the book of James. The book of James. We're back in our series, Roots. Back in our series, Roots. And, and we're hoping uh, to have this completed um, by the end of September. I'm hoping. Hoping to be done with James by the end of September. And so we're going to be picking up in chapter number three, chapter number three, and hopefully getting through that today. Uh, but before uh, we dive into scripture this morning, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever been to a wedding before? You've ever been to a wedding? Great. How, how many of you have ever had the experience at the wedding where you walk in and there's an usher waiting to greet you? And they say to you something along the lines, uh, are you here uh, with the friends and family of the bride or the groom? Anybody ever heard that before? Right, and oftentimes you'll tell them, I'm here with the bride, I'm here with the groom, and they'll sit you on a specific side uh, of the auditorium, the chapel, the church, wherever it is that uh, those people are getting married. Now, while that practice is not always normal for weddings, especially in situations where there are many out-of-town guests, it is, is enjoyable, at least in my opinion, to sit with people and, and enjoy someone that you love getting married that you have not seen in a long time. Anybody else there with me? When you regather with family, it's not always the best, but oftentimes when you regather with family, uh, there's something unique. That would be a great word. Unique about those moments when you've regathered with extended family. Now, uh, what about this? Suppose you walked into church this morning and one of our greeters greeted you at the door and they said, do you want to sit with the wise people or the foolish people? And then they looked at you like you can't come in until you give me an answer. Do you want to sit with the wise or the foolish? What would you have said? Now, that, please, that's a rhetorical question. Do not answer out loud. And before that hypothetical scenario sounds too outlandish to maybe some of us, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be tackling today says those very words. It starts out by saying to us, Who among you is wise in understanding? Who among you is wise in understanding? Now, I could ask that question right now, and of course I won't. I won't be asking that question, but I could. And I could say, who among us this morning is wise and understanding? And there are probably some people here in the room that would raise their hand. There are probably some that would raise, there would be others uh, that probably would not. But regardless of what we might have said at the back door, Regardless of whether or not we would have raised our hand, can we all agree that deep down inside, we all think that we're pretty wise? Can you guys just agree with me this morning on that? And that's why we yell at the referee on the TV when a bad call happens, right? Because we think that we're smarter than the referee who was on the field on top of the play. And they probably know the, the, the rules way better than we do, but we think that we're smarter than them. And so we scream at the TV knowing they're never, ever going to hear us. Well, what about the people that spend much of their time being critical of others? Like, do you realize that there are people in our community and, and in, my, in our past church that we were at, there were even people in our church where the only time I ever heard the sound of their voice was when they were complaining to me about something. 
It's the only time I ever heard the sound of their voice. But you know, for some men and women, that is the, the very thing that they do every single day. Why? Because they are the smartest person that they know. They're the smartest person that they know. You know, it's amazing how many teenagers are wiser than their parents. Parents, would you, would you agree? It's amazing to me how many employees are smarter than their bosses or the owners of the company that they work in. It's amazing to me how many citizens are much wiser than the elected leaders of our city and our country and our states, right? And the list could go on and on and on. Do you know there's no lack of men and women from whom the answer to that question, who among you is wise and understanding, would think even if they would not say it politely, well, that would be me. Well, that would be me. Now, I want to push that, though, a step further before we even get to Scripture. What if we were able to receive God's analysis on that subject? What if we were able to receive God's analysis on our life? Let's just say that every person gave an answer. They thought they were either wise or they were foolish. They sat on that specific side. And the Lord began to rearrange people here in our church building this morning. Let's just say, based on his analysis, this massive overhead crane came into the building and began picking people up by their ears. And they began moving them from section to section. Oh, you thought you were foolish. No, in my eyes, you are wise, and I'm going to set you over here. Oh, you thought you were wise. Well, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to put you over here with the foolish people. What if that occurred in our church this morning? Do you think the seating arrangement would be different than the way that we began? Yes. Do you think that that would be really great? That'd be scary, would it not be? What if I were to tell you this morning that there is a test here in Scripture that can determine for us who is wise and who is, who is foolish? What if the characteristics for godly wisdom were laid out for us? Well, then we'd be able to make a determination this morning. Well, here's the good news. They are here before us. James has offered us a portion of scripture that tells us the difference between godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And with that in mind, if you are not there, turn to James chapter 3. Now what we've learned here in this series in Roots, we're in our sixth week here in this series. We've heard that along the way that James was actually the first book of the New Testament to be written. It was written before the Gospels were. Bible scholars believe that this book was written between 44 and 49 AD, which means that it was less than 20 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. This was the first book in the New Testament written. And that's important for all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. Why? Because the reasons include the fact that we're dealing with eyewitness accounts of Jesus post-resurrection. Church, I want you to know something. If you walk away with nothing else today, I need you to know that biblical Christianity does not ask us to place our faith in a fairy tale. Amen? 
Biblical Christianity does not ask us to place our faith in a fairy tale. In fact, these are all verifiable facts by hundreds and hundreds of people outside of the Bible who said that these things actually occurred. Do you know many of the people just like James didn't even start off believing in Jesus? In fact, Jesus' siblings thought that he had lost his mind completely. And James, James changed his mind. He repented. He repented. And you know how we know that? James calls his brother the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ in James chapter 2. You know, James becomes the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And very, very shortly after he wrote some of these words, he presides over one of the most important church councils in the history of the early church, and that's the Jerusalem Council. You can go back and read about the things that occurred in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. But it was a very pivotal moment, not just in Scripture, but for the history of the church. And right now he's writing the brothers and sisters who are scattered all around the world because the early church started and immediately persecution began to come in and and the Jews began to disperse. But why? Why would Jewish men and women who chose to become followers of Christ be willing to be scattered around the world for their faith? Why? Because they knew it was true. Because they knew it to be true. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. You know we would never do that for a fairy tale. We'd never be scattered around the world for a fairy tale, for something that wasn't true. The early followers understood the real meaning of the word Lord. They understood what it meant and that that through Jesus Christ, eternal salvation came that through his shed blood, Many people would come to know his son. But you know there are some people that want eternal salvation through the blood of Christ, but they don't want any ethical requirements that come with it. They don't want any. And I I love the fact that Jesus quenched that notion all the way back in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, a book that would actually be written down sometime after James was already written. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we were given tests for what a true believer is like. There are specific tests, and in this passage here before us, we have very similar ideas from James, things that we've already looked at. And it demonstrates yet again to us how well the Bible fits together. Every single piece. But before, before we get there, what is the Lord's definition of the word wisdom? What is the Lord's definition of the word wisdom? Do you know, because I, I began to ask myself, how, how would we define wisdom? Because God's wisdom is dramatically different than the way the world defines wisdom. Would you guys agree with me this morning? The, the idea that any old wisdom will do does not meet up to the test of Scripture. It doesn't. There are two different kinds of wisdom that are spoken about in the Word of God and from very different sources. Earthly wisdom and godly wisdom come from two different places. And so the challenge is, is that many of us might believe that we're wise 
But when God's analysis comes, it might be dramatically different than what we see. And to set all of this in context, I want us to start reading in verse number one. I know we looked at this two weeks ago, but I want us to reread it again. Verse number one tells us, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse number 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth came blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And now we're going to cover these last few verses where we're going to spend the rest of our time. James says, who, in verse 13, is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask of you to illuminate this portion of scripture, Lord, that we would know when we leave the difference between godly and earthly wisdom. And that, Lord, we would have the discernment to know uh, what comes from you and what does not. So, Lord, challenge our hearts this morning. Show us ways that we need to change and realign our thinking with your truth. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. So we are going to be talking this morning about how we grow in our pursuit of heavenly wisdom how we grow in our pursuit of heavenly wisdom. And with the time remaining, I want us to look at three principles that will help us to develop a wisdom that honors God, a wisdom that honors God. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning is that we must remember that wisdom is not something that we know, it's something that we do. It's something that we do. It's going to come to the screen for you. Wisdom is not something that we know. It is something that we do. It is something that we do. That's what we learn from James's opening comment here in verse number 13. Who among you is wise in understanding? And there immediately is a challenge. Based on what? Based on, on what? 
Am I wise in understanding? Is it my SAT scores? Is it how well I did in school or my ranking in class? Is it my IQ or how well I perform on a test? Or what about from the religious perspective? Is it how well that we know our Bible? Or, or how well we have the ability to articulate theological nuances to somebody else? No, not at all. In verse 13, James tells us and makes it very clear that it is something that we show by our actions. Look back at verse number 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? He asks the question and then he gives the response. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In this very moment, we see that true wisdom is not intellectual, it is behavioral. It is behavioral. Biblically speaking, you do not know something, church, until it affects the way that you live life. I want you to write that down. It's not going to come to the screen. You don't know something until it affects the way that you live your life. And that's one of the delightful things, church, about being a part of this church body. We have some very wise men and women among us. Some very wise. And it has nothing to do with, with their academic achievements or their economic status or their age or their IQ. It's all about them being skillful in the art of practical, biblical living. You know, I, I've noticed... Uh, over the last 18 months of working with this, with this church board, really just the last eight months would be uh, our current church board, I've noticed that one of the greatest gifts that this church provides for me as your pastor is the high caliber of deacons that serve on the board here in this church. The high caliber of individuals. And as I think back uh, to some of the most important discussions that myself and our church board has had. It's amazing to me which individual in those conversations might have spoken a gem of wisdom that impacted the entire direction our church is going for that one simple reason. And the others in that room carefully listened to those people, not because of the degree they had, but because they showed godly character through the meekness of wisdom. Through the meekness of wisdom. Church, I want us to keep in mind this morning that there are several key ideas in parallel passages that help us to understand what James is talking about. What we are talking about this morning, godly wisdom, is a major theme throughout the entire Bible from Old Testament to New Testament. But what are some of the main points that we see in Scripture from other key portions? There's going to be three things that hit the screen, and I'm not going to linger here very long. The first is that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But he says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools. You know, when we think about what James is saying about this characteristic of worldly wisdom, you know, there are individuals who have no awe have no honor, have no love for God, and in part that's because they've, reser they've reserved too much awe and, and reverence and honor and love for themselves, and they've forgotten about God. The second thing we know from Scripture is that wisdom is found in the Word of God. 
Wisdom is found in the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes. And they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope that your most precious treasure is the Bible that you have on your lap this morning. I hope that's your most precious treasure. And if you don't have that, uh, to capitulate to the modern, maybe it's the Bible that you have on your phone. But the more that we understand the sinfulness that is bound in our own hearts, the more we will begin to value the wisdom of God that comes right from his word. And it's crucial for us also to add that wisdom, the third thing, is hidden in Christ. Wisdom is hidden in Christ. Colossians 2, 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul speaking about Jesus Christ. You know, practical wisdom does not simply come through knowing a book. Would you agree with me? Practical wisdom doesn't come through knowing a book. It comes through knowing and loving Jesus Christ. Church, that was a great spot for an amen. Practical wisdom comes through a, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's so true that Paul told the church at Corinth, but those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Church, all of the things that come because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so out of scripture gives us our first test. If the question before the house this morning is, are we wise in understanding? And you show that by good behavior, deeds in the gentleness of wisdom, then I have a very challenging and hard question for us this morning. Does your spouse have reason to say that you are wise? Please don't answer out loud. Please do not incriminate yourself. Church, this is a serious matter. I'm, I'm asking you a very serious question this morning. Does your spouse have reason to say that you are wise? Does your child, does your coworker, does your boss have reason to say that you are wise? Does your neighbor, does your extended family have reason to say that you are wise? I, I get up every morning and my wife and I thank God for a church of, of men and women who want to overcome every obstacle necessary so that they can show their good behaviors and deeds done in the meekness of wisdom. We thank God for a church body of people that know that wisdom is not something that you just know, that it's something that you do. But church, there's a warning here in scripture for us, and it's the second thing that's going to come to the screen, that we must be careful to avoid earthly wisdom. We must be careful to avoid earthly wisdom. Do you know, the next step in this process is fairly straightforward. 
When we look at the two different kinds of wisdom, and we, we must be sure that we're not drinking from the wrong source. Why? Why? Why do we need to avoid earthly wisdom? Well, James tells us, let's look back. He says, because of its characteristics. It's fascinating to see the ideas that begin to bubble to the surface here as we read this. Look with me at verse number 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Church, what does James say twice in those three verses? He points out characteristics two different times. The first one, bitter jealousy. He talks about jealousy. Church, jealousy is when you want something that somebody else has. And there's a seething resentment or an anger inside of you because they have the house that you want. Or they have the spouse that you want. Or they have the kids that you want. Or the car that you want. Or the job that you want. Or the money that you want. Or the body that you want. And you're, you're in, a, in a place where that's all you're focused on. Church, the world right now around us, right now, is, is forever feeding the narrative that we will be happy and satisfied if we simply have something that we do not currently possess. And that is a lie. The lack, the lack of gratitude and the lack of discontentment that you see in the behaviors of people, it comes straight out of evidence of worldly wisdom. And there's a person, the one who lives in that place, is drinking from the source of that which is led by Satan himself. bitter jealousy. The next he, he pulls out selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Also found twice and these last few verses are the ones whose lives are based on and motivated by human ungodly wisdom and they are inevitably self-centered people. They live in a world in which their own personal ideas and their own personal standard is the measure of everything else. That individual is the one who's engulfed in a self-serving worldly wisdom and they resent anyone that comes between them and their own objectives. Church, did you notice what James made clear in the middle of the verse? That both of those attributes reside deeply within the heart of man. They reside deeply within the heart of man. Which really should cause us here this morning to slam on the brakes. It should cause us to, to pause and reflect upon this question. Is it possible that we are not wise as we believe ourselves to be in part because we are jealous or we have selfish ambition inside of us. James then goes on to say that if that is you, if it is true of you, then don't complicate the matters by adding two more ingredients to that scenario. Look back with me to verse number 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, what does he say? Do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not boast 
and be false to the truth. So the third, the third piece, the third ingredient that James adds here is arrogance. Arrogance. If you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant. Do not be prideful. Church, pride is what makes us think that we deserve something that somebody else has. That's what pride is. And it fuels the selfish ambition inside of us to do whatever is necessary to come out on top. And many people in the world see that as behaving wisely. But scripture says, and the fourth ingredient that he says, that's deception. That is to lie against the truth or to speak falsely against the truth. It is a lie. Do you know the word truth here in the book of James is synonymous with the word gospel in the rest of the New Testament. That's why James told us in James chapter 1 that in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth. And we'll see in chapter 5 that he addresses people that stray from truth. That stray from truth. A person who is living that way has every reason to question whether or not he is truly a Christian. Has every reason. You lie against truth with the way that you live, and James tells us to avoid that behavior. And he says to avoid it because of its source. He says the source is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Church, I, I want to just walk a, a rabbit trail with you for a moment. Any individual in the church, outside of these four walls, any individual in another church, any person of church leadership, any coworker, any boss that displays those four characteristics, according to scripture, should be avoided. Any person who is arrogant, self, all about self, any person who is prideful, and I'm talking about the one who displays all four of these characteristics should be avoided. Why? Because that is the person who is doing the work of the of the very enemy of the Christian in Christ. That means that we shouldn't take advice from the one who displays these four characteristics. That doesn't mean that we don't love them. That doesn't mean that we don't pray for them. That doesn't mean that we don't help them. That means that we cut off allowing that person to attempt to speak earthly wisdom into our lives. Why? We're going to see in just a few minutes that that type of wisdom brings about disorder in every evil practice. The very people who attempt to, to speak lies against the truth because of their own selfish motives and their own arrogance are the very ones that bring evil and disarray into church circles. They're the ones who bring division into church bodies. They're the ones that cause churches to split and close down. And church, we are told to avoid that practice, to avoid it. Look back at verse number 15. He says... This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This is why Paul told the church at Philippi, for many walk 
of whom I often told you, and now I tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross. He's talking about people who they believed to be Christians and who are now causing disarray inside the church. That's exactly who Paul is talking about. Is why he told the church at Colossae, he said to set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. He knew, he knew. And church, this morning, I need us to know there's no way around what James is saying to us. None whatsoever. He's speaking about very serious issues and why my heart resonates with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 when he said that I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve, that your mind will be led astray that your mind will be led astray from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Do you know one of the the greatest struggles um, and one of the most scary portions of being a pastor is having a fear that your church body would be led astray just like Eve was. That they would be led astray from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. And now, I believe we see why the original question that James asked was so important. Who among you is wise and understanding? Who among you? You know, it's possible for a person to believe that he or she is wise when the truth is they've been seeking wisdom from exactly the wrong source. It's possible that their earthly wisdom is that very thing that's unspiritual wisdom. It comes from the demonic which leads to some pretty obvious questions for us this morning here in church, for those in the balcony, for those online. Are you careful about the source from which you seek wisdom? Are you careful? Are you careful about what you read because it's labeled Christian? Are you careful about what you watch Are you careful about what you listen to? Church, I was just talking to my wife last night uh, that I came across uh, a a clip of a well-known pastor here in America, a mega church pastor who, in my opinion, um, shouldn't even be pastoring. People shouldn't even have the title of pastor. He spoke in a sermon not two weeks ago and told his church, the more money that you have, the more dangerous you are against Satan. That's exactly what he stood on the platform and he told his church. The more money that you have, the more dangerous you are to Satan. And I thought to my very self, people are listening to this. People are hanging on that very word. Church, does our level of discernment indicate that we recognize that not everything that people says comes from God? Do we have enough discernment to know? And if you still have a child living in your home or a grandchild? If you have connections to uh, a child in any way, do you exercise any oversight into what they are receiving as wisdom? My wife and I spent several years in youth ministry And some of you parents and grandparents would probably never even believe the the spaces in which the teens 
and the elementary kids here in our culture are receiving wisdom from. You probably wouldn't even believe it. James tells us to avoid earthly wisdom because of its effects. The very results of earthly wisdom at the end of verse 16 say disorder and every vile practice or evil practice depending on the version of scripture that you have. Now I want you to notice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sh- bring a word to the screen here in just a moment. It's, it's the word disorder, our English word disorder, and it comes from the Greek word Go ahead, pull out. Thank you. Akatastasia is the Greek word. It's on the screen. It's where we get our English word disorder right here in Scripture. What James was talking about was a state of confusion, disturbance, disarray, or rebellion and anarchy. He said that these things are what come from those who practice earthly wisdom. How many of you uh, work in the secular workforce? A good portion of you's hands went up. Have you ever noticed that when you put two or more people in the room together who are operating on worldly wisdom, soon you have in very short order disarray? Very, very soon. In short order, you you have confusion. You have at times rebellion and anarchy. Why? Because every person present operating on earthly wisdom believes they're the smartest person in that room. Earthly wisdom brings disorder in every vile practice. Don't miss this. James is saying that earthly wisdom brings about every act that goes against the words of Scripture. And so everything that we see in our culture currently that goes against Scripture came from earthly wisdom. Everything that came from earthly wisdom goes against Scripture. But church, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if we were sitting in here this morning and you and I thought that we were wise when the truth is that we've been drinking from the source of earthly wisdom instead? Wouldn't that be terrible? The impact that we would have would bring about disorder and every evil and worthless thing. Thank God in Scripture there is an alternative. Amen? Man, worst sermon ever. We're packing up and going home right now. There's an alternative here, James states. And so the last thing I want you to see as we begin to land the plane is that we must passionately seek heavenly wisdom. We must passionately seek heavenly wisdom. Why? Because of its characteristics. Look back with me at the end. Verse number 17. But the wisdom from above is first don't miss these and see how they sound very close to the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to this. First is pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, then full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's purity that comes from godly wisdom. There is peace that comes from godly wisdom. There is a gentleness There is one who is open to reason, one who is full of mercy and good fruits, one who is impartial. If you have a Bible or you take notes, I want you to write one who is unwavering. That's what impartial means. One who does not stray, one who is unwavering. And the last one, sincere. And that word sincere means one who is without hypocrisy. One who is without hypocrisy. 
If you're looking for a good Bible study assignment for the next week before we meet together, I would suggest that you read the Sermon on the Mount and compare the notes from what James has been saying to us and what Jesus said there. And the similarities are striking. But doesn't this sound exactly like what Jesus said or what he would have said? And doesn't it sound exactly like the work that he wants to do in every single believer? Doesn't it? So can I ask you a question? Does what we have been studying the last six or seven weeks change the way that you would have answered that original question? Who among you is wise and understanding? Does it change the way that you would have answered that? How, how do these characteristics from God's word impact the way that we would have answered? How? Do you know, I want to broaden that out, I guess, for just a moment. We are more than halfway through 2022. Can you guys believe it? This passage explains much of what we are trying to accomplish as a church. What we're trying to accomplish as a church. And what we hope to accomplish in the future. Being rooted in the word of God. Rooted. Do you know, we, we want to use our different ministry platforms that the Lord has given to us to proclaim the source of heavenly wisdom that's available through Christ and his word. And so as a result, church, of the all-in capital campaign that we launched officially last week, and we will uh, officially launch with our first offering in September, and the changes that we've talked about, we're wanting to make the greatest gospel impact here in, in Ionia, not just in the four walls of our church, and we have to be rooted in the word of God in order to do that. It starts right here. Why? Why? Because we want to be a church that offers wisdom from above to men and women and children and families and seniors because Jesus is the one who brings about the change through the Holy Spirit and that life. We just want to be the conduits that he uses. We want to be the vessels and the tools that he uses to impact our community. We don't want to bring about earthly wisdom. Why? Because earthly wisdom brings about more disorder and heaven knows that our country and our culture and our community needs less disorder. Right, church? They need less disorder. And so we want to bring about pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, good fruits that are unwavering without hypocrisy to our community. We want to be able to proclaim Christ. We want to live for Christ in a way that the wisdom of God is so clearly on display in our lives, but that it's readily available and accessible to anyone who comes asking. And James says the effects of that godly wisdom, righteousness, that's sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we come to you right now, Lord, and we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this truth that we've been challenged with. Lord, we ask of you right now to impress upon us the areas in which we need to grow and change, areas in which we need to press into you. And Lord, I pray that we've been challenged to uh, seek godly wisdom apart from 
earthly wisdom. And that, God, we would take to heart these challenges and that we would be able to answer the question with truth, who among us is wise and understanding? Holy Spirit, work. Give us boldness and liberty in this, in this place and give us strength to follow you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen and amen.